You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Okay, there are two stories on Campus Reform, the, uh, the website campusreform.org. Great site, by the way, if you want to stay abreast of all of the um, insanity happening on college campuses. But two stories I want to mention for the purposes of our discussion today. First, out of Notre Dame, where I just spoke last week, I did a um, did a talk at Notre Dame, kind of talking about my book, The Unholy Trinity, in stores now. Go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Um, but uh, t- talking about my book and 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 explaining how liberalism and Satanism are connected, and particularly explaining why you cannot be why Christianity and liberalism, modern liberalism, are not compatible, and you can't be. There's no such thing really as a liberal Christian. And I mentioned on Facebook that I, uh, I, I showed up and I was told that um, we were I, I was going to be giving my talk in the basement of the science building in a not not in a standard lecture hall where they usually have guest speakers and I would not be getting a microphone. There was no microphone provided for the event. And I think the can the, the university claims that, well, it's just a scheduling thing and, you know, it's got nothing to do with me. It was don't take it personally. They just, it's just, you know, just how it, it just kind of coincidence. This is how it worked out that they had to throw me down into the basement with no microphone to uh, speak to a room. And there weren't, there wasn't enough room for all the people to fit. Um, anyway, so Notre Dame, the, the, uh, the headline on uh, campus reform says Notre Dame students feel unsafe about Pence giving commencement. And the article goes on to explain uh, University of Notre Dame students have begun a Hashtag not my commencement speaker whiteboard campaign to protest the invitation of Vice President Mike Pence to speak at commencement. Last week, seniors uh, Iman Mondane and uh, Hordine Williams invited students to take photos holding whiteboards with direct quotes from Pence that are racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, offensive, ostracizing, along with the hashtag not my commencement speaker. You may also write about why you feel unsafe with the presence of Mike Pence on your campus. That Mike Pence, he's a, very, he's a dangerous guy. Now, when I see Mike Pence, I am intimidated. Aren't you? This is a guy. You got to be really careful around Mike Pence. He is a really... I mean, who doesn't feel unsafe around Mike Pence? Mike Pence. 
Mike Pence, probably the most sanitary human being that has ever existed. The most just kind of white bread, inoffensive, sanitary person ever is Mike Pence. Even his name, Mike Pence. He just you hear Mike Pence and you think and you think of Mike Pence without ever having seen Mike Pence. You hear you hear the name Mike Pence and then you see Mike Pence and you you know everything about Mike Pence already. But yes, a very dangerous guy. Now, remember that um that Notre Dame invited uh, Barack Obama. Notre Dame is allegedly a Catholic school. And uh, they invited Barack Obama spoke on their campus when he was um, shortly after he became president. And Barack Obama was and still is a radically the most radically pro-abortion president in uh, history of the country. A guy so radically pro-abortion that when famously when he was in when he was a state senator in, in Illinois, he voted against a bill that would have protected kids who are born alive after an abortion. Uh, Barack Obama believes that children who survive an abortion attempt should just be killed anyway. Go, go back and clean up the job is what. And he was invited. Now, this is a guy who believes in killing babies, even ones that are after they're born. He was invited to speak on the Catholic campus. That didn't make them feel unsafe, I guess, because they're not infants. Now, if you're an infant, you should feel unsafe around Barack Obama, given how he doesn't think that they're real people and, they, and it's okay to kill them. But uh, so that, that didn't make them feel unsafe. This is a guy who just blatantly opposes Catholic teaching on almost every subject. But that was okay, not Mike Pence. Then we move on uh, from there, another article. This one from, uh, I think, Duquesne University. D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. I think it's pronounced Duquesne. And the headline is, Students, quote-unquote, fear that Chick-fil-A will jeopardize their safe place. (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Okay. Student senators at Duquesne University are lobbying for the cancellation of plans to bring Chick-fil-A to campus in the fall, saying they fear for the safety of their peers. Are their peers chickens? Are they saying that they're friends with chickens? And that's why they're afraid. Because in that case, I can understand. Our friends, the chickens, will be feel very unsafe with the Chick-fil-A there. Uh, the popular fast food chain came under fire in 2012 after its president, Dan Cathy, admitted that the company was uh, guilty as charged for donating to organizations and blah, blah, blah. So we know about that. Um, LGBT activists on campus said, I fear that uh, with the Chick-fil-A being in options, being in the whatever campus cafeteria, that maybe people will feel that safe place, that their safe place is at a risk because of a Chick-fil-A. Duquesne University student senator Nico Martini has reignited concerns over the company's past by proposing a resolution at the Student Government Association's March 26th meeting to nix the restaurant from a list of proposed overhauls to the school's dining options. They feel unsafe with Chick-fil-A. They feel unsafe with Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A's president said something a few years ago that they disagree with. And now now they're afraid of Chick-fil-A. Now you have... Between Chick-fil-A and Mike Pence, you have two of the just the friendliest things. Have you ever been inside of a Chick-fil-A? It's the friendliest environment in the world at, a, at Chick-fil-A. Certainly the friendliest fast food environment. I can understand feeling unsafe maybe going into certain McDonald's and Burger Kings because they're, they're, uh, their employees are just salty. I mean, their food is salty, but their, their employees are even saltier than the fries. Their employees are... are Often just you, you feel like they want to kill you for just being there. You walk up to the cash register and you feel like this, this, this girl, this 17 year old girl 
behind the cash register wants to ki- she would kill you if she could just for being there that's the vibe you get at a lot of fast food restaurants and but not at chick-fil-a they're so nice all i've, I've never had a bad customer service experience at chick-fil-a i've never encountered a person in a bad mood working at a chick-fil-a it's incredible and that's and they feel unsafe with that you have very nice people offering you chicken nuggets and you feel unsafe all right so but we get it don't we the safe the safe space mentality on college campuses we've all heard about it talked about it um the only thing that kind of still surprises me about any of this is that these people still use the phrase safe space or safe place and they use it unironically i'm a little surprised that people are still doing that um, I mean, don't, don't they realize that we're all laughing at them? You'd think that they at least come up with a different way of saying it, a different name, a different label, rather than still... I mean, they're still literally saying, I, I need a safe space. Wouldn't they at least come up with a different name for the place that they want to go to to be uh, insulated from opposing, scary opposing, opposing views? Liberals are usually pretty good about that, changing the names and labels of things so that we don't notice how crazy they are. Um, but they haven't done that in this case. They're, they're really they're they're just sticking with it. They're saying, "Yeah, I want a safe space." Yep, that's what I want, safe space. So, you know, rather than having this be another kind of boring, uh, cliche, lame complaint about the safe space mentality on college campuses, not that it's it, it is uh, it, it is something worth complaining about. But we've all heard, "Wow, oh, these college kids—they're a bunch of wimps." Yeah, we get it. I mean. I don't know how much more. I don't know how you could really say anything interesting about it anymore that hasn't already been said. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take the conversation a little bit deeper. I want what I'd really like to do is something that most people don't attempt to to discuss why. I mean, really, why young people, my generation, are constantly complaining about feeling unsafe? Why do they try to suppress and stifle opposing views? Why do they run to their safe places? We know that they do. Why do they do it? I mean, really, why? Beyond just saying that they're wusses and uh, you know being done with it there, beyond that, there's something going on here, something serious and important, something severe, something profound, something that could potentially destroy our civilization. My generation seems to be so afraid, so very afraid, so overcome by fear, paralyzed by fear afraid of ideas, afraid of thinking, afraid of responsibility, afraid of adulthood. And why is that? What's going on? We all know that it is going on, but why? And we really need to figure this out because it can't go on like this. If it does, then we really are doomed as a society. We, we live in um, very pampered and luxurious lives. We are very insulated from a lot of the physical dangers out there, especially in other parts of the world. Most of us. Now, if, you, if, you grow, if you're in uh, inner city Chicago or something, that's different. But most of the kids that are on these college campuses are extremely safe. They've been safe their whole lives. They've never encountered danger of any kind physically, yet we're so afraid. And I think there appear to be two things that young people are, these days are afraid of. And I'm speaking generally because there are exceptions, obviously. Uh, I hope I'm an exception. If I can still call myself a young person at 30, I am a a millennial anyway. But there are two things that we're afraid of. And uh, I think it's not normal or natural for young people to be afraid of these things. Certainly not not as afraid as we are. But those two things are ideas 
and adulthood. Those are the two things. We're afraid of ideas and we're afraid of adulthood. And most of the problems that we're seeing in the millennial generation really comes down to that, to those two fears, those two phobias that we have. And we're afraid of other things too. I'm afraid of spiders, for instance. But many of us seem to be especially afraid of ideas, new ideas, and adulthood. And as I said, this is not normal for young people to be afraid of these things. Young people are supposed to be the ones who are eager to encounter new ideas. If anything, our um, flaws should be on the other end of the spectrum. That we're a little bit too eager, a little bit too swept up by new ideas. And I don't think it's normal for us to be afraid of adulthood. There was a time, I'm told, when young people were eager to go out and become adults and be independent. That's how I felt. You know, I, I left the house. Uh, I was uh, officially you know, emancipated. I, I left the house and moved out on my own and was uh, financially independent uh, at the age of 20. And I felt even then that it was too late or that I was, I was kind of behind. I was a late bloomer. I felt like I should have been out of the house when I was 16 or 17. But I got out of the house when I was 20 years old. And um, compared to a lot of my peers, compared to a lot of my peers, I was, you know, 10 years ahead of them as far as that goes. But I was eager to get out there. I wanted, I, I can still remember um, when I first moved out of the house. And by the way, it's not like I was eager to get out of the house because my home life was so miserable. It wasn't. My home life wasn't miserable. My parents are great. And that's the other interesting thing about, you know, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these p- people in my generation, and I'll get to that in a minute, but because this all plays into it, but a lot of people in my generation grew up with miserable home lives and honestly, pretty terrible parents with terrible marriages. And yet they still didn't want to leave the house. I mean, their, their house is a horrible, emotionally chaotic and uh, just their parents just living these entirely self-centered lives and still... You'd think we want to get out of that environment. A lot of us didn't, still don't. But in my case, I got out of the house when I was 20, and I've been over this history before. I got a job at a radio station, you know, working overnights. And um, I can still remember when I first walked into my, my, my landlord showed me to my apartment, and he, he was, it was just a little small, probably a 300-square-foot uh, apartment, one-bedroom. You know, it's, the, the kitchen was a converted walk-in closet. It used to be a walk-in closet. Hardly even a walk-in closet, actually. It was just a regular closet. And uh, But it turned into a kitchen, and another closet was turned into a bathroom. The whole apartment was carpeted. Kitchen, uh, wall-to-wall carpeting, kitchen, bathroom, everything. Was, everything was carpeted. Never, I've never really seen that before, actually. And um, just a dumpy, cheap, small place. And my landlord shows me into it, and he's kind of giving me the tour. It didn't take long. We didn't really have to move. He just kind of pointed, well, yeah, there's a kitchen bathroom. Yep, there, here's a, this is where you can put a couch here, and that's where you sleep, and there you go. And uh, I said something like, I said, oh, wow, it's, it's nice. And he kind of laughed at me for saying that. And he said, yeah, sure. And then he just left. And then I remember just kind of sitting on the floor because I didn't have any furniture yet. And I looking around and looking at my domain, and I just felt great. I felt great. It really, to me, it seemed like the nicest apartment in the world because it was mine. Well, not completely mine. I I was renting it, so I didn't really own it. But it was basically mine, sort of. And I looked around as if this was my kingdom. And I was so excited to be out of the house and to have this. But it just seems like that doesn't exist with a lot of people in my generation, even even those that are my age now. 
28, 29, 30, no real desire for independence. And that's, it, that's always seemed so strange to me. I don't understand. You know, I, I can't relate to it. But I think it's that fear. It's that stifling fear. So let's look at this. There, there are the two things that we seem to be very afraid of in my generation. The first, are we're afraid of ideas. We're afraid of, 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 of opposing ideas. And we find that, especially on college campuses, and this is where all the safe space stuff come, comes from, and the stifling of, of speech, you know, rioting over conservative speakers and all that kind of stuff. Um, and why? Because we're, these people are afraid. I keep saying the word we, but I'm not really including myself in this because I'm not afraid of ideas. Um, but they are very afraid of the ideas. And, I, and here's why, I think. Well, it's kind of two reasons and they're related. The first is that we have to understand that leftists do not have the truth on their side. They do not have objective truth on their side. And indeed, they deny the existence of truth, the existence of objective truth. And when you don't have truth on your, on your side, then you can't really engage in an argument. You, don't, you can't. Arguments are uh, uh, frivolous and pointless activity. There's no way to get into it. And you've already, you've already started by making conversation and debate a moot point by saying, well, there is no truth. I have my own truth. And so what happens is uh, because we believe we have our own truth, this is my truth, and that our emotions and feelings and kind of affections determine truth. And because of that, we think that uh, this is sort of a, this is how you debate. This is how you assert your truth or this is how you, you win an argument is by being the most emotional one. So that's what that is. It's uh, when they run to their safe spaces and say that they're offended and all of this, that's their way of essentially claiming to be right, of trying to win the argument is by saying, well, I'm the most upset. I'm the most emotional. So that means I'm right because our emotions are what determine what is right. And there's a second element to this. And we, you know, this is where... I have a certain pity, honestly, for these people who feel unsafe by Mike Pence or by uh, Chicken Nuggets. I have a certain pity because I tell you the other part of this. We can reject objective truth all we want. We can deny truth. But when it comes down to it, deep in our souls, in our, in our, you know, in our minds, and our hearts, we still recognize at some level that there is a truth and that we have denied it. And that we are outside of it to some extent. We still do recognize that. So the other reason why they shut down debate, they stifle, they suppress, they riot, and all that. The other reason they do it is because they are deathly afraid of encountering an idea that reveals their own falsehood to them. They're deathly afraid of, of uh, discovering, of finding out, of confronting the fact unavoidably that they're wrong about literally everything they think. Because that's where we've got now, you know, we've got no point in our society where there is no common ground at all. And you've got 
you know, a certain faction, a certain portion of, of society living in like an entirely different universe where they just reject all truth and they've built their entire worldview on falsehood and they really are wrong about almost everything. Think about being a modern leftist, 21 or 22 years old, and this is what you've grown up in. You are wrong. They're wrong about everything. Think about that. They're wrong about everything. And not just a little bit wrong, but really wrong. Just, I mean, just take the example of, uh, of just as an example, you take this gender stuff. You take an issue like abortion. I mean, these are the issues I talk about in my book because they are so central to the, you know, these are the central cultural battlefields and they are the foundation of the leftist movement. But they're so wrong about that. So incredibly wrong. So wrong. And, and, and what they're doing is, you know, on one hand, they're advocating for the murder of kids. And they've, they've devised this ridiculous superstition about how men can be women and all this craziness. I mean, and they've built their whole worldview on that foundation. So if they confront the possibility that they're wrong about these things, everything comes crashing down. It's like, it's like removing, you know, the bottom two bricks from the, from the Jenga tower and everything comes crashing down. And they have to reorder their entire life. And not just reorder it, but reorder it around a truth, an objective truth that they don't have control over and that, w- that will make demands on them, makes demands on, on their lifestyle. You know, they have to change their lifestyle according to it. These are scary things. It's scary to um, consider the, the possibility that you could be wrong about everything. So, and that's not, and, and some of us can't really relate to that because look, I know for me, I've been wrong about things. Okay. It might surprise you to learn that, or at least to learn that I'm, I'm willing to admit to that, but I've been wrong about things. I've been wrong about plenty of things. And the more kind of, the more sort of further out you get from the really fundamental object, the really fundamental truths of life. And certainly when you get into like academic conversations about mathematics and that's right, I've been wrong. I'm always wrong about math. But when you get to the more peripheral, peripheral sort of topics and things, you know, I've been wrong there. I've been wrong plenty, but I'm not wrong about everything. When it, when it comes down to the, to the foundational issues of life, the foundational truths, I know for sure I'm right about those. For absolute certain, I'm right. And I absolutely know that. And there's a certain kind of confidence and, and uh, you might say safety in that. Now, we shouldn't let that confidence turn into a kind of ego and arrogance where we say, oh, I'm right. I'm, I'm the one who's always right. Because we don't own the truth. It's not our truth. That's the whole point. We don't get credit just for recognizing it, especially when these truths are so obvious. We shouldn't feel puffed up because we recognize an obvious truth. So it's not about ego. It's not about arrogance, but it's just about it is about confidence on the abortion issue. Again, just using as an example. I speak with confidence. I have no fear whatsoever in, uh, you know, entering the lion's den, debating people about it in encountering someone who, you know, opposes my point of view. I have no fear. I'm not worried about it because I know for absolute certain that I'm right and that I have the truth on my side. But they don't know that and they don't have the truth on their side. And I think at some level, deep, deep down, they know they don't have the truth on their side. And that makes them afraid. It is a fearful thing to be so wrong about so many things. And it takes courage. This is why I have so much respect for when you hear someone who says, you know, I grew up and I was a leftist and a lifelong liberal. I saw the light. 
I have so much respect for somebody like that because uh, they did have to confront the possibility that they were wrong about everything. And uh, but they 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 kept plunging right through, and they said, "You know what? I'm going to find the truth, no, no matter what, no matter what the consequences. I'm going to find the truth." And that takes courage, takes guts, and most people don't have that kind of courage. Courage is a rare trait. If we've learned anything from the history of human civilization, I think we should have uh, we, we we should have learned uh, that much by now. Okay, the second thing, we are afraid of adulthood. I think very clearly we're afraid of adulthood. Why is that? Well, we know the obvious reasons. We're afraid of adulthood. Young people are afraid of adult. Millennials are afraid of adulthood because of the responsibilities that come with it. Yeah, maybe they, maybe, maybe at some level they, they, they've, uh, they've had the same feelings that I had when I was 20 years old. That longing for independence, kind of being on your own, having that freedom. Who doesn't want independence and freedom? But they know that something comes, that there are responsibilities that come with that. Just like I had to confront. Yeah, I had my apartment, but I had to pay for it. And now I've got all these bills I got to take care of too. And a lot of uh, millennials don't want that. They want the independence, they want the freedom, but they don't want any of the responsibility that comes with it. And what you discover is that, well, if you have independence without responsibility, then you don't really have independence. So this is where you end up with uh, many people in my generation will eventually move out of the house. You know, they're not all really living in their mom's basement. Some of them are. But I think what you find even more commonly, especially as they get older, you know, when you're looking at millennials more closer to my age, 27, 28, 29, 30, you know, a little bit older than that. Many of them have, they're not living in their mother's basement physically, but basically they still are because they've moved out of the house, but mommy and daddy still pay for most of their um, things. You know, they, they still rely on mommy and daddy to pay their cell phone bill, maybe help them with rent, pay for food, all this kind of stuff. And so they're not really independent. They're basically living, their, their, their apartment or wherever they're living is sort of now a satellite campus for, for mommy's house because they're still completely dependent on, um, on their parents because they don't want the responsibility. So we know that. But here's the other part. Here's the other, here's the other aspect of it that we have to understand. And this isn't to make excuses for millennials who are afraid of adulthood, but it is just to put it in perspective and to understand why this fear has come. And I think part of the reason why is because many people in my generation have never seen functional adulthood. They've never seen what a functional adult looks like. And when you start getting into marriage, uh, family life, they've never seen a good, healthy marriage. They've never encountered one. They grew up in their house, you know, in their homes. They had broken marriages. Their parents were awful and selfish. I'm sorry. That's the case for a lot of. This is where the baby boomers can't run away and um, try to pass the buck entirely to my generation. This as baby boomers, you know, you made us this way. A lot of this is your fault. Our kids are terrified of, of going out and getting married because you were so bad at marriage. You were so bad at it. That, I mean, I'm sorry. That's just the truth. I know a lot of my peers just had awful parents. <laughs> really, they're just really self-centered parents. I'm not saying this is the case for all of them, but many, many. There was this, this stifling selfishness in the baby boomer, boomer generation, an incredible selfishness in the baby boomer generation. And it made it so that they were really terrible at marriage and uh, they were not very good at being parents. And so many people in my generation grew up with that 
And so they they just don't know how. First of all, they don't know how to be a functional. They, they've never seen it. They don't know what it looks like. And they look at marriage and, and they, they say to themselves, it cannot work. I've never seen it work before. I grew up with, you know, my parents were married briefly. Then they got divorced and they just spent my whole childhood. They're just complaining about their ex-husband, ex-wife. They're complaining about marriage. Every, they're just so put upon by everything. And they're thinking about their parents. And they're thinking, you know, even, even when, just when it comes to just adulthood, aside from marriage, my parents were, were so miserable. They, they, they took no joy in, 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 in serving others. They were just such miserable people. And so a lot of people in my generation now associate being an adult with being miserable. Again, I'm not making excuses. I'm just putting this in perspective and in context so we can understand where this comes from. It doesn't come from nowhere. And so it's a little ridiculous when we look, for instance, at how my generation has uh, shirked marriage and is not getting married. And a lot of baby boomers will look at that and say, gee, I can't figure it out. What's going on? Well, maybe because you, maybe because you, you, you got divorced three times and your kids noticed and you just, you just did not really provide much of an, an incentive for them to follow in your footsteps. Maybe that's part of the reason why. It's not an excuse. It's just context. And it is a call for not only my generation to um, take responsibility, but for all generations to take responsibility. For, for the older generations to take responsibility. And to look at you know, what you did to the country. And the state that you left it in. And what you did to the institution of the family. And all, all of our institutions. And again, I'm speaking in general terms. This doesn't apply to everybody, but it applies to a lot of people. And this is how we end up where we are. So we can say to millennials who are afraid of adulthood, afraid of marriage, we can say, uh, you know, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. But even so, there reaches a point where you got to grow up and start developing your own understanding of the world and stop blaming everything on your parents and realize that the picture your parents painted the example they set, that's not, that's not the be-all and end-all of everything. If your parents were not great and uh, they were really bad at marriage and they were kind of selfish, self-centered people, you know that's unfortunate, but that's not how everybody is. And that's not how you should be. There used to be a, a popular slogan. You'd see it on bumper stickers all the time, and it was uh, question everything, right? And I think it's, it's kind of striking that you don't see that bumper sticker anymore. But that's kind of the attitude that my generation needs to have now. Question everything. Because, because everything is so screwed up. And because our culture is so fundamentally built on misconceptions and lies and outright lies. That you have to question those things. Just because you grew up in a reality where marriages didn't work. And adults were all a bunch of miserable, complaining people. It doesn't mean it has to be that way or it's supposed to be that way or it naturally is that way. That, that's not the case. And at a certain point, you have to realize that and start taking responsibility. You know, move on, move up, move out. That's what you've got to do. That's my pep talk for the, for the week. And that's going to do it for me. I'll talk to you guys next time. Our Chase Salus. Godspeed. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951.